You're recording? I'm recording too. Ready? This is Slashers, a horror movie podcast brought to you by two dudes who have literally no credentials but gumption and grit and tenacity and a bunch of other sports terms. We are the Rudy of podcasts, except you've probably seen Rudy and you've never listened to this show. My name is Jake, and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, Brian. Brian, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hey, how's it going, guys? I noticed something. Uh, I hate to call you out on the air, but last week you didn't say uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I thought we agreed in the first episode uh, that was going to be your no. catchphrase. That's right. That's right. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and uh, any others I missed. Perfect. You see, the continuity, I think, is what people are really going to be concerned with. So, uh, Brian... What movie are we doing this week? I mean, it's already in the title of the episode, but let's just get it on air <laughs> to be over with. Right, we're doing uh, we're doing the faculty. This is a, one of my favorites growing up. Uh, I, you know, I, I should I shouldn't say growing up. I should say one of my favorites. Whilst I was in high school, I think high school right came out in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, oh wait, nineteen ninety eight. You're talking about oh, you're talking about the Robert Rodriguez movie. See, I did all my research on the nineteen ninety six TV show called The Faculty. Oh, oh fuck, this is going to be awkward. Oh, I already broke my rule. <laughs> no, we're talking about The Faculty from nineteen ninety eight. You're correct. We were in I, seventh 1998, grade. Nineteen ninety eight, seventh grade. So we weren't even in, in high school. Yeah, but uh, I was telling the yeah, wife I mean, that I used to watch this movie every day before middle school. Because it was on HBO from the night's programming before. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, but you know what's funny is I feel like it, this was one of those movies that was just constantly on TV. I feel like it was really, like, adaptable, like, from film to TV, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, because it's more sci-fi than horror, I think that there's a lot that you could really easily, you know, cut out and then boom, it's on TBS versus a movie even like Scream. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more gore and blood in it. I think probably the bloodiest scene in this movie is when Stokely hits her nog-nog on the tile floor. Right, right. And, um, yeah, I feel like it was it was on Sci-Fi Channel probably, like, more often than not. And it, that was back when Sci-Fi was actually playing, like, Sci-Fi films and not just, you know, a bunch of random shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this movie originally the you know script for it comes out in 1990 and it's called the feelers which i don't i don't know what that's all about it sits on the shelf for Mm -hmm. a long time and then scream is a huge hit so they repurpose it and they hire the mother from dawson's creek to go through and update the dialogue so all the kitschy little references the fact that they mention men in black on two separate occasions all that is because of the dude from dawson's creek (laughs) <laughs> who then couldn't be bothered to direct the movie, even though he was chomping at the bit to direct a movie, and then he goes off and does teaching Mrs. Tingle. Well, I mean, to be fair, like even if they mentioned Men in Black twice, they mentioned uh, Body Snatchers once, so I feel like it's kind of like a, a moot point. Yeah, they call uh, Casey, or uh, Elijah Wood's character, uh, Sigourney Weaver at one point, uh, making a reference to Alien. So it's... It's very tongue-in-cheek. I feel like if I hadn't seen Scream, this would be such a mind-blowingly awesome movie. But it's still quite good, I think. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into the statistics of the episode, uh, or the, rather the movie for the episode. The uh, movie was shot on a $15 million budget in Texas. The opening weekend was $11.6 million. Domestically, it made $40.3 million. Fun fact, Brian, I did a thorough Google searching and could not find an international gross for this film. But I know it was released internationally, and I watched interviews from the Brazilian DVD extras. That's <laughs> that's yeah. some that's some thoroughness right there. Like it was it. weird. It's on YouTube, so I didn't work that hard, but still, I feel like I need to take credit for it. Um, the runtime, 104 minutes. This is super breezy. I mean, I felt like I feel like I've watched TV show episodes of TV shows recently that felt a lot longer than 104 minutes. So the weekend that this came out, it was competing with Mighty Joe Young, The Thin Red Line, and Patch Adams. Because this, Brian, just like Die Hard, is a Christmas movie. Yes. It's actually not a Christmas movie. It takes place in September or October of 98, but it came out Christmas Day, 1998. So we just passed the 20-year anniversary of this flick. Does that make you feel old AF? Wow, I do feel old as shit. I feel like... um. Well, you said Patch Adams was out in theater. I mean, God, that was like super depressing Robin Williams. I feel like every time we're talking about Robin Williams, I feel like a little bit of uh, sadness leaves me. I got a little tear going because I feel like it's too soon. I think it's always going to be too soon. The, uh, the day that we do insomnia or one-hour photo is going to be a truly hard day for me. I think I'm going to... Oh man, Insomnia was so cool, and I feel like we talked about it last we did. week. But like, I feel like it's just something that we can like go back to because it's like so unique, right? Because they were filming in I don't know if they filmed in Alaska, but it definitely has like a cool feel to it, and it's a good story, right? Absolutely. And there's a Stephen King novel by the same name, and I am too fucking lazy to Google and see if it's a Stephen <laughs> King one. But uh, for our fans, we have talked about doing a Stephen King project. Uh, once per month for the entire first year of our show. Uh, next month, it's looking like it's going to be Salem's Lot. So maybe the month after, maybe we're talking March, if it is. If it's not, like it's probably it. going to be Cujo or some bullshit who gives a, a damn. <laughs> a good goddamn. Okay, so before we go into everything, I'm playing a game by myself. Uh, usually that sounds like code for masturbation, but tonight I am going to try and work on my mother swearing so if you recall in the movie the faculty miss burke refers to zeke and says he is so rude and so every time i swear henceforth in this episode i will painstakingly go in and edit and use her voice to censor my obnoxious foul mouth and i am sure that i will lose my patience after the second time and never swear again brian do you support me and endorse me in this decision Oh, absolutely. Especially if, um, I mean, if you can say so rude, like in a sultry voice, like she does in the film, one more time, I feel like it would just like totally nail it. So rude. That's her when she starts having sass and attitude and a red top. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, Brian, I think it's time you walk us through the recapitation. All right, guys, for a quick recapitation. Basically, the faculty is a group of ragtag students that find odd happenings going on within the faculty at the school. 
It's a, it's a classic battle between students and teachers slash aliens and a no-holds-barred for battle for school supremacy. I like it. That's short and that's sweet. So, Brian, let's go through our roster. Uh, what we mean is we, Ataki fans, do not call people by their names. We always have a nickname. So, throughout the movie, you'll probably hear us refer to people by names that are not in any way related to their character. So, this is your effective cheat sheet. Uh, obviously, Brian, let's just get out of the way. Uh, Elijah Wood, we clearly have to call him Flipper, right? <laughs> yeah. Because he was in Flipper, De- the, his most well-known property. Definitely Flipper. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Samwise Gamgee would just fucking roll over in his grave. Oh, are you talking about, what is that, Lord of the Flies? Is Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. I can only feign ignorance for so long. I feel like I only have like a good majority of my body covered in tattoos for this uh, film reference. So he's going to be Frodo Baggins, Verger, uh, which is Elijah Wood. So if you hear us say Elijah Wood or Casey or Frodo, it's all the same person. That's it. Brian, did you have a nickname for Zeke? <laughs> So for Zeke, uh, you know, the only thing that came to mind was Midwest Kid. <laughs> I feel like it's just nice. like it's stereotypical, we're from Ohio. You know what I mean? He's got that. Yeah, but it's one of those kids who he thinks he's way cooler than Oh, absolutely. Is. I mean, look at the hair. It definitely shows. Yeah, I had picked out uh, Lucky Number Slevin. And I thought we were just going to call him Slevin because that's, I still don't understand how somebody made a whole movie thinking that was a great name. <laughs> but I like Midwest Kid a lot. I think it has a certain condescension to it that I admire. <laughs> it's funny, right? Coming from somebody from SoCal. It's like, you fucking douche. Oh, well. But you've lived in Wyoming long enough to be able to have seen and you, you've lived your life's experiences and sowed your wild You know, it, it could it could be Midwest hair. We could just call him Midwest hair. Or the car guy. How about that? The car guy. I like it. Or the uh, the uh, scat guy. <laughs> no, actually, you know, take oh, it back. Don't don't call him the scat guy. <laughs> oh, I know what we're going to call him. The scat. He's a scat I was man. I bop, beat up, boat. That's awesome. <laughs> So there we go. We have this cat man. Next we have Stokely, who I dubbed IRL Daria. I like it. Na 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 na. The misunderstood one. I appreciate that. Did you have one for Delilah, Prissy Miss? Oh, uh, Delilah. Um, every other fucking cheerleader in high school. I don't know. I... <laughs> yeah. How about remarkably unremarkable character? Moving on to Stan. Do you have one for Stan? Mm, Stan. You know what? Anything that comes to mind when I think of Stan, for some reason, is Eminem. I don't know why, <laughs> but I feel like it's... I just imagine like Eminem somewhere in the background just like having rap battles. I like it. I thought you were going to go with South Park, so I'm very relieved that you went with Rabbit from 8 Mile. <laughs> Slim Shady? That's it, man. And then uh, is there anybody else? Yeah, I mean, that's the core group uh, as far as humans go. That is is the core group of the Breakfast Club. Oh, I will say, obviously, Principal Drake is the aunt from Jumanji. So we'll just call her Jumanji. And the coach is T-1000. So, I mean, those things are... They're irreconcilably intertwined with their character. So that's who they are now forever. That's it, man. I was. It's funny because I remember watching it and thinking, I remember seeing her in something, and I can't put, you know, a, what movie she was in, uh, Jumanji, and it's like, of course, duh. She is the aunt that has the sweet-ass house. Right. 
and uh on a single raised. income yeah, I mean, damn girl get it i wish i wish but uh yeah so that's pretty much uh the roster right hell yeah so let's move on into the slay by play which is where we do the long form review of the episode like brian said um you know we have a very football obsessed culture at this high school so the opening scene is a football practice that is hosted and directed by the t1000 robert patrick uh, Brian, did you notice that he says, and I quote, Consider yourselves dead Friday night. Dead! <laughs> yeah, you know what? I do re- recall him saying that, and that's some pretty sweet foreshadowing. Yeah, especially, like, I made sure when the cl- like rising action and the climax of the movie happened, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Friday. That's nice. <laughs> I imagine the writer of this film, especially in these establishing shots and everything, just sitting very smugly and self-satisfied as he sat in a Starbucks typing away. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you could just imagine, like, if you think about it, how fucking badass of a football team would you have if you had the T-1000 as a coach? They would go, I mean, they'd go to state. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And they would all run with their hands in straight points. <laughs> Imagine uh, how much better good. you'd be at I football like if you could turn your hand into a metallic barbed hook that you just stab into a wide receiver, right? So aerodynamic. I like it. Yeah. So he has a, a freak out and has a grown-up temper tantrum, and then he starts stomping on the uh, sprinkler system, and an <laughs> ominous shadow appears, and he's like, right? who the F-word are you? And then there's a really kind of weak fade, but we go to an awesome scene. Uh, which is the faculty meeting. Brian, what happens then? So with the faculty meeting, which is really cool, it kind of delves into the different characters within, you know, the faculty itself. And you kind of have an idea of what kind of characters they are um, before they change, right? So you get a little little bit of a glimpse as far as who's the alcoholic, who's the hardcore football Nazi, who is the meek, um, you know, uh, drama teacher and so on and so forth and so you kind of have an idea of uh you know i guess it's just a little bit more uh, personal as far as who these people are you get uh, a little bit more detail before they become some you know alien drone and uh did you like the yeah, subtle it, detail it, that mr tate is smoking in front of the no smoking sign <laughs> yeah I, I got a feeling right off the bat that mr tate was the guy that just didn't give a shit hashtag baller that's it, man. I feel like, um, I mean, I don't know if we should be uh, name dropping, right, as far as our old high school teachers and whatnot, but I feel like he's like the Mr. of that school. So, Mr. Beep. <laughs> yeah, and, and right. it's funny yeah. enough, the characters gender swapped quite a bit, but I feel like the drama teacher is very much like our drama teacher, but I kind of get the vibe that's supposed to be the way everybody feels about this movie. So, the drama teacher... She keeps reiterating and harping to the principal. Oh, the you know, the kids really want to do guys and dolls. They really want to do guys and dolls. And so the principal has what I think is a pretty great theater nerd joke. Uh, if you want, uh, for all the thespian ears out there, she says, uh, just use the sets from our town from last year. Brian, why is that a hilarious joke? I don't know, Jake. Why is that a hilarious joke? Because when Thornton Wilder wrote Our Town, it was intended to be performed without a set, which is why every high school in America does it every freaking year. I mean, that's that's pretty genius if you think about it. It's evil, 
but it's also pretty genius. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's no set. There's no credible acting skill. It's great. It's the same everywhere you go across the nation. Uh, so another bit of continuity porn is that when Principal Drake goes back in, or you know, the aunt from Jumanji goes back in to retrieve her keys after she started to be attacked by Robert Patrick, the T-1000, um, she sings a song from Guys and Dolls. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. You know what's funny is, um, if I recall, I think they were kind of joking around about, like, uh, you know, nobody really having any budget unless they're from the football team. I feel like it's something that's kind of relatable, right? Even though, like, you look at, like, uh, Robert Rodriguez coming from, I believe it's Texas, who, like, obviously everybody knows um, Texas is basically next to God uh, when it comes to, I guess, the hierarchy. But, like, it's kind of similar to, I mean, stuff that I feel like a lot of people grow up with uh, within that, you know, sports community. Usually it seems like uh, sports tends to take the uh, the front seat on a lot of things. Well, hell yeah. I mean, you can have your cute chess club, but how is chess club making us money? Who's going to go on with a chess scholarship to, you know, a credible college so it's always this, the same way. You hear the same gripes from all the other faculty members. I think that's what's so great is that he is the first, uh, you know, character that you see changed. And it's almost that toxic masculinity of the way he, you know, infects her and everything. I think that there's a lot of subtlety there that a lot of people miss out on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. It seems like it's uh, it's like he's imposing his will. So, what do you think of the line, Miss Drake to the principal's office? <laughs> I mean, that trope First is just all, so <laughs> overused, but I think it was still so damn effective, it makes me kind of mad. Right, right. First of all, I just like, I, I love the way that you have your own little uh, voices in your head, and then the way you recap it, and the way you say it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's actually how he said it, but it's the way I remember it, and that's what counts. <laughs> it, it is definitely very sultry, and, uh, you know, add a little flair to it, I like it. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was definitely cheesy. And, uh, but, uh, you know, what's funny is I feel like, again, I feel like, you know, this kind of goes along the same lines with uh, American Werewolf in London. I feel like they're at, like, the right moment, and it's not, like, overly done. Exactly. It's camp, but it's fun camp, and it never feels like it's slowing the pace down. That's one thing. When people want to be like, look how clever I am, look at me in my clever pants, and they slow the movie to a screeching halt so that that guy can have a wink and a nod at the camera, you'll lose me. But it keeps moving because that's literally 0.5 seconds of this entire movie, and you know the action doesn't stop. You know, it, Shortly thereafter, this lady's getting a pencil through the hand. How dope is that? Yeah, I thought that was badass. I mean, it's super clever, right? Um, I mean, you really don't ever see anybody. Uh, I, I guess, you know, within the high school, you have to kind of get a little um, ingenious when it comes to different weapons and whatnot. And there's got to be some way for him to, uh, I guess, um, incapacitate her. Uh, a pencil through the hand. I'm not exactly sure how that would incapacitate her, but it definitely was... Um, pretty good like it had a good gore factor to it no i think the gore in this movie is so effective because well it's it was pretty dang minimal but it's all relatable pain like have you ever been stabbed with a pencil have you ever fallen on a tile have you ever had your fingers cut off by a paper cutter i mean these things sting in a way that's so much worse than being mauled by a chainsaw because i can't relate to that pain because i have no idea how that even happens 
Right, that's that's definitely a, a valid point, and uh, it's it's really kind of interesting to see how, um, yeah, like it it's something that they, like you said, all of these things that happen to these people is like they're like everyday items, right? And it's something that like again, you said it's very relatable. It's not like it's somebody that has a machete that gets like their arm cut off, and you're like, well, last I checked, I've never been hit with a machete, so I wouldn't know. So I agree with you there. Yeah, and then uh, you know the big reveal comes out. The drama teacher is also an alien. Bum bum bum, which I actually think is kind of fun because she's a drama teacher. So the fact that she is acting and pretending that she's not an alien and she's trying to help the principal, I really enjoyed it. And then the very dramatic stabbing uh, with I think it's pretty clear it's supposed to be an homage to Psycho, classic. Right with the with the yeah, and I think it's scissors, right? Correct. I think it's like just like a bunch of scissor gouges. And then, you know, the each both she says I've always wanted to do that. Uh, T1000 says it as well. Again, for the smart marks who are paying attention to the continuity, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I thought that Principal Drake did a great job acting in that scene when she's using her hand and she's like pooling the blood in the palm of her hand. It's it's nice to see that kind of attention to detail. And it's great because, I mean, that her vulnerable in that situation makes her reveal later on spoilers so much better (laughs) oh absolutely absolutely so then uh i think next what is uh the very next day in school is when they start um calling everybody in right well first we have you know billy madison rolling up in his trans am uh which is lucky number 11 that's right that's right louise i think the best part of that introduction is because you're sitting there rolling your eyes to Midwest guy like oh god Uh, but he recklessly drives into this parking lot and then immediately later two girls get in an accident and they start beating the hell out of each other for no reason and all they were doing was just pulling into a parking lot meanwhile he's you know doing daredevil nonsense and no consequence I thought that was a really interesting way of showing like he gets a free pass because he's the cool guy Right, right. You know what's funny is it totally, it totally just reminded me of like um, the stereotypical like uh, guy that in high school that has like the fucking sweet like really old muscle car that like didn't achieve anything or didn't do anything to achieve it. Oh, for sure. It was just kind of like given. <laughs> well, it's implied that he's like, or he's the rich kid who's the son of, you know, these debutante type people who are off jet setting across Europe leaving Midwest kid to his own you know nefarious devices funny because um it's such a nice car right and you're like looking at it like damn I wish I had something like that and then it's like let me pull out some sweet ass drugs out of the trunk and do my sweet Midwest things hell yeah and that's part of his introduction and then this is the next scene where they go through and introduce each character which i thought was a very effective way of getting characters up to speed i mean you know who they are you know their social status you know how interrelated they are uh, pretty dang quickly i mean it's been done before but it's kind of a trope because of how effective it is right it definitely reminded me almost of like a sitcom which is which is cool because it definitely worked absolutely i got that vibe very much so like this is the intro to your you know, whatever, Smallville or something like that. Um, and then we had a couple of interesting cameos. You know the girl who looks like Janine Garofalo when Mary Beth's like, I'm new here. Do you know where the principal's office is? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I love that your <laughs> nose one. ring brings out the color of your eyes. 
Right, right, right. The one with the nose. Yeah, ring. the one that looks like exactly like teenage Jean Garofalo. That is the director, Robert Rodriguez's sister. How neat is that? Interesting. That's really cool. I like it when uh, directors and uh, you know people add in different um, cameos. I guess you would call them, or not. I don't know if it would even be a cameo because it's not like it's a famous person, but you know, just little tidbits here and there of uh, people. Kind of reminds me of um, again Lord of the Rings with. Um, uh, him adding uh, all of his kids into the into the film. Absolutely, and why not? Nepotism. I mean, it's an it's an age old institution. If the president of the United States can do it, <laughs> and then we have Danny Masterson, Scientologist and uh, potentially sexual predator extraordinaire, buying drugs. Yeah, not just any drugs, right? Because it's scat. That's a scat man. Get a bit of it, Bobby Dabo. Which I feel like is just so funny, right? Because it's it's scat, right? Which is, I mean, I feel like anytime anybody that's like a hunter or anything, really, they're like, oh, look, at, there's some deer scat or there's some coyote scat. And you're like, yep, that's shit. It's jazz or it's, it's poop. Just another, there's no in between. It's just another word for poop. <laughs> so did you find it annoying that Zeke instantaneously says, quote, I'm brilliant, end quote, uh, and... I was like, God, that's so annoying. And then the fact that Masterson replies, why are you repeating your senior year? I loved that. I love that so much because I follow on Reddit. There's a subreddit called I Am Very Smart. And it's always people who are like, nye, nye, nye. I'm so much smarter than everyone else. And it's just so painful. Well, yeah, it almost seems like it's like um, they're setting themselves up. It's like they're holding a sign that says roast me. Yeah, exactly. Right? Hard. So we move on from that scene. You know, uh, Elijah Wood, uh, Frodo Baggins, is, he put on his ring of invisibility. Uh, he skulked <laughs> into the urinal st- or the you know the toilet stall and just bled on himself for a while. The next scene. Wait, but that was but that was after the fact of uh, what him getting like picked up and like literally launched into the flagpole. Nuts like, first, nut first. Yeah. <laughs> and elbowed in the face. Come on. I mean, all in the span of a couple yeah. seconds. You definitely can't gloss over that, man. I feel like it's it was one of those things. That's one thing that I feel like is um, it's missing in our schools today. No. <laughs> I was just about to say it's definitely changed. You know, as far as uh, the bullying uh, thing, I feel like it's one of those things where it's almost like a, in the film, it's like romanticized almost. They're like, oh, this is usual, like everyday thing. You know, like if you don't have a kid getting his nuts jammed into a flagpole doing something wrong yeah and i feel like he more than any other character is kind of like the time capsule character he his the way he's dressed though some of the things he says they're a little antiquated compared to everybody else so it's almost like he you know is a symbol of this bygone era and here's all these edgy cool kids that are his you know colleagues and cohorts now and it's just so you know he's so far left behind yeah, I could definitely see that. That's a uh, that's an interesting point. So the next scene, uh, you know, we have Mr. Tate walking in the halls, and a, a girl says, "Excuse me, Mr. Tate." And I rewound the movie four times to see if she called him Mr. Taint, and I regrettably <laughs> inform you, she did not. Wait, that you said Mr. Taint is that technically a curse word? I don't know if it's a curse word. It's definitely slang for something, though. I'll let it slide. It's you know, it's a very technical anatomical term because it taint the butthole and it taint the balls we All right, move I'll on let it slide. Uh, I think it's a very so 
I like filmmakers who take risks. Biggest risk of all is casting a woman who looks like Selma Hayek and purposefully making her look like dog shiz toppity too. Didn't swear. Pulled it off. Uh, moving on. Dog shizzity poppity poo covered in shizzity poppity pee. Right. And I mean, it, it definitely works because if any, if there's any way you can make Salma Hayek look like shibbity bitty 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 bad word not good, the opposite of like smoking hot, it would be to make it that she is the nurse that is like constantly sick from all the sick kids she's uh, she's trying to treat, right? Makes sense. Yeah, I, at first I thought you were scatting there, not mimicking me. I thought you were going to go off and finish the Scatman song. We are in theme with Scatman, so maybe later. Next was the John Stewart introduction, and he famously says, maybe I should put a pen in my eye, uh, which was like the most heavy-handed foreshadowing ever, but whatever. It didn't feel heavy-handed at the time, but as soon as he does get stabbed in the eye, you're just like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> But, I, I mean, to be fair, that was, like, probably one of the best scenes, at least for me, in the movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we'll get we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah, and then you have, uh, you know, the real-life comic book guy from The Simpsons, who's the other teacher. And then you have Mr. Tate drinking. Um, so it shows. And they're all deeply entrenched. So it, I like it because it takes established characters that you met in the faculty meeting. It expands on them. And it shows that, oh, it's it's a something of a pandemic where all of the teachers and all of the staff here are a little dysfunctional. Right. And you know what's funny is even though um, it doesn't show everybody within, like, the core group of people, uh, core group of students anyways, interacting with everybody um, that met in the initial meeting... I feel like it's kind of cool that you you see, for the most part, the majority of the the faculty is, like, they have uh, inner workings within the students, right? Because, I mean, I feel like, obviously, there's more than just uh, a dozen uh, faculty members within all the, the entire high school, right? But um, it shows that uh, they're interacting at least within the halls or within the classroom, with uh with the core group so and it shows how well affected they are um either they're jaded or they're hopeful and it kind of gives you again like you were talking about a a good contrast tate goes from this boozy slacker to this rigid fascist you know selma hayek goes from looking sickly to god damn woman you want to put what in my ear okay (laughs) that's totally true and it's funny because you know mr tate being the the avid drinker with the flask is is now pounding fucking water bottles like no tomorrow. So, uh, so I regret to inform you. Next scene, homophobia alert is something that is very weird. So we have Delilah who calls Stokely a rude bitch and a violent lesbian, and she says, "I mean, I okay, I don't understand. Let me make sure that I have this clear." She is not a lesbian, but she has put out the rumor that she is lesbian so that people will leave her alone, right? Right, right. So, the, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a strange thing, right? Because, um, so she's she's putting out the vibe that she's not lesbian, or no, that she is lesbian. She's not really lesbian. Everybody thinks she's lesbian, even though she really has a crush on Stan. 
So let me ask you this. Is she more or less homophobic than Delilah if she thinks that calling herself a lesbian will make her so untouchable and, you know, disgusting to people that she'll be left alone? I don't know, man. My brain hurts just thinking about it. Right? I thought that during the movie and I was like, hold on. I think Delilah, while obviously regressive, is at least like face surface evil, whereas this Machiavellian scheming from the chick who's the template for the lady from Foamy the Squirrel cartoons is definitely like there's some right, deep right. darkness because, there. Because Delilah is is being that like aggressive anti you know lesbian chick because um, uh, Stokely is portraying that, right? but it's not actually true. So it's definitely some weird layers there. And then you add the fact that Clea Duvall is a lesbian, and you're like, hold on. So you took a role of a character who isn't a lesbian, but thinks that lesbians are so disgusting or whatever that they'll be left alone. I'm like, that's, I don't know. That's, I hope you made a lot of money from this movie because you might need therapy later. <laughs> it was definitely interesting. And, you know, what's funny is go figure, you know, growing up uh, watching this movie when I was younger, seventh grade, as I, I feel like we, we figured out, I was the one that was like, oh, man, that's Stokely. I really think she's attractive. Go figure. <laughs> right. Yeah, actually, um, of the two of us, I think I'm the only one who lost his virginity to a lesbian. Uh, fun fact you know way more about me than I ever hoped. Moving on. <laughs> Next scene, Frodo drinking a juice box, finding an alien slug. And T-1000 comes up and he's all spooky-like. And there's the foreshadowing where Elijah Wood says, I don't think a person should run unless he's being chased. Um, you had Robert Patrick does a little like lunge. Elijah Wood jumps and scampers off. And it's nice, you know, it sets up, well, you know, here's that thread that we unravel and find whatever mystery is going on with these aliens. And also, it's a foreshadow for something that happens later with Elijah Wood. But I think it even goes deeper than that, because it also gives the coach something to use to kind of buddy up with Frodo's dad later on in the movie, which I thought was a pretty interesting little tactic by him. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. Uh, I didn't even think about that as well. That's It's pretty neat how he... Uh, definitely uh transition from you know looking at some kid who's just like a you know nerdy kid who's snooping around on the field not really knowing you know what he's walking into to uh you know the coach being like okay well i can use this to uh, to my advantage so i like it and then it moves on we find that the drama teacher has changed her look so she now looks like the fake head that arnold schwarzenegger uses in total recall uh, then we go to John Stewart or Edward Furlong's uh, science class where we have Frodo handing over his precious to have it examined by the, you know, why is it that every freaking podunk high school has this genius uh, science teacher? Can you explain that to me? Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. What I was going to say is why does it seem like every uh, science lab has like a random empty aquarium? Just sitting there like what i don't know i think both of them are symbols for wasted potential yeah definitely definitely i like uh although i have to admit though i i do like um john stewart's goatee going on there oh it's yeah pretty sweet i think you should keep it or bring it back <laughs> uh so they introduce that 
Zeke as a smart character with his palogitic organism, and then they use some water. And apparently you find out that the worm is actually a sea monkey because after adding water, it comes to life. Um, this seems a little bit reminiscent of the movie Evolution, which came out a couple years later. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's one where they, they add the water, right? And then it starts, like, jiggling, and then they just, like, assume, like, oh, well, I guess we need to throw it into the giant aquarium of water and see what happens. And then the did you thing, like yeah. the fact that when Stokely holds her hand up to it, like prison style, it, it like replicates the shape of her hand and presses longingly against it. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird, but you know, yeah, whatever. I mean, it was it was interesting because it kind of seemed like Stokely's like, oh, I finally belong, right? And it's an alien. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. Also, as you know, it's all swimming around and its crazy tendrils or tentacles or whatever you call it are swimming around and makes it look like this evil demon thing, which it turns out to be. John Stewart's like, it's okay, with complete confidence, even though he has no damn idea what's going on. Right. They're like, this is a new species. It'll be fine. Let me put my finger in this. <laughs> Let me put my finger in this, and other romantic songs are going to be on our upcoming album. <laughs> oh, man. Later on, we have Stan quitting the football team. you got T-1000 being super understanding, singing Kumbaya, and I thought that he... I really like the line, I'm not going to stand in the way of the human condition. And then they beat you over the head with a kind of, you know, overt <laughs> I'm an alien thing when he says, what kind of human being would I be if I did that? Um, right. It's because you're know. not a human being. Waka waka. Right. And then, and it's it's kind of funny, right? Because, like, obviously you're you're in on it. You know he's not a human. But it, it, it definitely, I don't know, it seems like I feel like they could have played a little bit more on... Uh, the transformation of people as far as their uh, personalities, right? Because you can auto- you can automatically tell the difference in their looks, right? From Selma Hayek, from Miss Burke, um, from the principal. But when it comes to their actual like dialogue, I feel like they didn't really delve too much into it, and it kind of you got like a little bit of it with how the coach is interacting with Stan, right? Because he's like, well, the coach is acting super weird. But I don't really feel like anybody else kind of had a different dialogue. I, 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 I take it back. I should say Miss Burke did when she was talking to Zeke after the fact. But that was almost like overbearing, right? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Where it, it, You're talking more Jekyll and Hyde there where it's so overt. Whereas this is just... I mean, it almost reminds me if you've seen Parkinson Rec where they have that politician. And he's like staring off into space. And he's like, this is some weather we're having. That's kind of the way that Robert Patrick plays it off, and I really like it. But here's the thing. To treat your audience as uninformed or ignorant, for lack of a better term, that's okay. To treat your audience as stupid, that's where you frustrate me. And that's what it was. To teach us, as, you know, you're presenting us as uninformed. You know, we don't know how he's going to react to Stan. Here we go. We've established that. I understand. But then when he's like, what kind of human being would I be? It's like, oh, you're putting training wheels on because you think I'm not capable of following this gripping psychological space thriller. Right, right. Because, I mean, it's just like, it's yeah, it's definitely like that stark contrast between the coach from the beginning of the movie to now, right? Exactly. So you move on. There's Stan. He walks by and protects Frodo from getting beat down by the ring wraiths or Usher or whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a fun line where 
uh, Frodo says, it must really blow being you. I found out originally in the script, it's Stan who says it to Frodo, but I think it works a lot better when Frodo says it to him and he says, like, you have no idea. It's like, that's that shows that he's really processing a lot. You know, there's more right. behind the behind blue eyes than uh, you'd think. Yeah, it definitely shows that uh, each character has multiple layers. You know, I mean, Stan may be that the high school jock, but he definitely has more going on than just uh, if he's going to make it to uh, Friday night for the game. And here's uh, Brian's favorite scene of the movie when Stan gets it on with an old lady in the shower. <laughs> Don't don't remind me, man. I I feel like you know what's funny though is like I feel like the quality of makeup in that in that particular scene where her hair just like straight I don't know just falls off when he grabs it. I thought that was pretty sweet, especially with like the stickiness coming off. Ugh. And it was interesting because they blended CG with makeup, and I think it was really effective because it doesn't look anywhere near as dated as some things look from that same era when her face is like pulsing or whatever um and and, it built some good tension with the feet and you you know he looks up and there's nobody there and then oh you got your jump scare but i gotta ask you this brian do you start your shower by washing your face who does that is that some backwoods (laughs) oh ohio thing what is i think that that might be some ohio thing and you know another thing to bring up as well is uh (laughs) the whole shower scene with like the way the showers were set up and everything definitely reminiscent of like I think in middle school they they still had that kind of shower. I don't feel like the kids had to deal with that shit like we had to once upon a time. Yeah, I don't know. It, that felt like the scene in American History X, the way those showers were set up. <laughs> I was uncomfortable. Uh, but but moving on, I have to comment on this. They're aliens that need water to live, and they chose Ohio, a state with no coast. So it's landlocked. What? Like, yeah. I'm sorry, it's just like the opposite of the movie Signs, where it's like, these aliens chose a planet where the majority is water, and they're hydrophobic or whatever. Right. I mean, the only thing that makes sense is that they crash landed. I don't know. You know what I mean? It, it would have to be something along the lines of they crash landed. I feel like it's one of those things that where they could have uh, explored it maybe a little bit more and uh, explained it, I guess. But, um... Yeah, it definitely doesn't make sense because Ohio? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so they keep going. You got the empty sparklets waters in the hallway, which, you know, it's some good continuity. You establish Miss Burke losing her authority, you know, when she says that she's the authority figure here. Uh, one thing I thought was kind of amazing. Here you go. This is why you listen to Slashers, because we do the homework. Delilah says to Frodo, you're that geeky Stephen King kid. And I was like, man, Elijah Wood's been acting for a long time, and Stephen King has a fudge ton of stuff out there. And so I'm thinking to myself, for sure, Elijah Wood has been in some kind of Stephen King production. Well, I did some research and found he was not in any Stephen King production, but he was a an integral supporter of converting the Stanley Hotel, which you might know better as the Overlook Hotel, into a horror muse, muse, horror, uh, horror movie museum. <laughs> a horror museum or a horror museum? A horror of horrors museum. I like it. That's interesting. Yeah, that's later on, right? I mean, 
not now, right? Or not when they were filming because what he was like sixteen when that came out. Yeah, he was eighteen when the movie I mean, came out, like, and then now that was two years ago that he was working on that project. He was he was eighteen when that came out. Yeah, he I looks just, like he's like twelve. That, I, I went to check because I was like, man, did, is he like the perfect age for it or what? Because he they started shooting Lord of the Rings very shortly after this. Which is interesting because, I mean, I hate to go off topic, but I feel like in Lord of the Rings, he's, like, so much more um, filled out, right? I mean, obviously, you imagine it, different actors for different um, movies, you know, especially, uh, you know, you look at somebody like Christian Bale, who puts on a lot of weight or loses a lot of weight for different um, styles of film. But um, I feel like in Lord of the Rings, even though he's, like, what, three feet tall, I feel like he's a lot more filled out. Yeah, well, also, Brian, he saves the world in this movie, so I think a lot of that is confidence moving into his next feature film. No, too true, too true. So you got the next scene where Selma Hayek gets ear-pregnated, and that's one of the things that we were talking about before the show, where I feel like that's as overtly rapey as it gets. I mean, that's fluid exchange. You got the veins in his neck going, the eyes rolling back, he's pinning her down. That is such a skeezy scene. It is really hard oh. to digest. Oh, absolutely. And, it, I mean, it, it pended out perfectly as far as uh, Delilah and um, Casey being in the, in the closet, right? As far as, you know, trying to snoop out different things for the newspaper. And it just it makes perfect sense that that's how they were able to kind of come across the teachers acting weird and uh, totally come across that super weird rape scene. You go from there... That's where they are saying, oh, they're, they're killing her. They've attacked her, blah, blah, blah. And then Principal Drake comes back, and she has that poised confidence. She's the exact opposite of she just was when we saw her in the intro to the movie, where she's this frail victim. Here she's just antithetical, and she, I think, has one of my favorite changes in the movie. Uh, what do you think of it? Oh, absolutely. She, she was in total control, and it's funny because it seems like... Uh... It, like transition of power almost between um, T1000 and the principal, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And was, I, I love was... that after the whole thing where the cops come and they check out the area uh, when uh, Frodo and his parents are going home, which is like, see you tomorrow, Casey. Wink eyeball emoji. Ooh. Right. Which which follows up with uh, the pretty sweet scene where um, Shooter McGavin um, is like tearing through casey's uh room trying to find drugs right and they're like uh the mom's like uh oh check under the bed for the porn and i want to say he said something along the lines of no more flogging the bishop that is exactly what it is i wrote that down in my notes and i was like (laughs) what is happening right now i have i lived through that era and i never heard somebody say that I don't think I've ever heard anybody say flogging the bishop. But it also, sounds creepy. Here's the bigger question, Brian. You're missing the forest for the trees here. Why does he have porno mags if he has access to the internet? That's too true. That's although at the same time, I mean, you look at the 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 size of that computer screen. You look at the way you kind of I don't know. He didn't he input something into his keyboard and made like some like robot start moving around and shit. Yeah, it was pretty. Like weird. I don't know. I don't know if he had really like <laughs> that great of access to um, to the internet. I feel like maybe some uh, some sticky pages would probably do a little better than uh, trying to go through the interwebs. 
definitely better resolution, I think, at that time. So he tries <laughs> to sneak out and get over to Delilah because she's going to prove that he's not crazy. And then you have the faculty members out in his front lawn, and they're just watching him. So he falls off of his roof. No big deal. Like he's Wiley e. Coyote and gets up with no problem. It's it, You know what's funny is um, I feel like they could have gotten away with not showing the faculty there. I don't know. Maybe even just like having some like just like shadowy presence not exactly just like showing like the entire faculty yeah i think i feel like it was a little overplayed when they're outside the gate and they're at the curb it's effective when it's like them walking up to him as he's on the ground and the dad just doesn't notice three adults in the dark that was a little (laughs) bit weird right 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 i feel like shooter mcgavin was uh busy flogging the bishop or something he wasn't paying attention so the next day uh frodo's dad drops him off and i thought it was great there's the you know juxtaposition showing how things are changing so quickly where he has the my student is an honor student or whatever um, sticker on his car and then he has to drop his kid off because he thinks he's on drugs and he's misbehaving. I think that's so funny, right? How they uh, immediately just go straight to, oh my God, my kid's on drugs. What do you want? The dope? <laughs> well, it makes it even funnier that the fact that he does go on dope in the later parts of the movie actually saves the world that's true that's totally true so you know take note parents (laughs) so we got um you know more water deliveries going on uh then you have the i deserve that d monologue from stan which i actually really enjoyed i thought that was uh, very humanizing what do you think of it yeah that was really cool i feel like um it's one of those things that definitely um makes you relate to Stan a little bit more. It gives him uh, relatability, and it makes him more vulnerable. You know what I mean? I feel like it's one of those things where he doesn't appreciate being overlooked, even though he's, like, the typical jock that is going to win state or whatever, and everybody's just going to give him good grades. He feels like, well, I don't want to just be glossed over. It makes him... Very sympathetic, and then it also endears him to Stokely because it's kind of implied they never even have any kind of relationship before that, but she has this affection for him, so I think that's a great way of moving the scene along. Get to our next scene. You got Miss Burke, who's suddenly the Dark Phoenix, looking all hubba-hubba and being crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, Miss Burke, man. I feel like that's like a complete transformation. Jean Grey was doing it. And then, uh, did you? So the actress uh, Famke Jansen admitted in a 2016 interview that she's never even seen this movie. Isn't that weird? What? That's a little strange. I don't Maybe know. it's because I, mean, I edit these episodes, but I'm I listen to all of them. I'm probably all of our listens on our new hosting website at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a trip. But uh, yeah, that's are you, are you are you talking about when she confronts Zeke, or is that after the fact? Yeah, that's when she confronts him. Right, right. So, did we even go over the whole intro, uh, initial part where where they meet up in the parking lot? Oh, we didn't. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's know, with the she, I'm the authority figure part. So take it away, right. Brian. Oh no, it's just it's it's really kind of creepy and weird, right? The the whole vibe because you know she's trying to be you know the the good teacher trying to steer him clear of doing any bad things and this and that and he kind of plays it off like uh oh yeah you know i'm the bad kid but you really want to be the bad teacher as well right he's like taunting her with like condoms and shit it's kind of weird 
Yeah, I don't think that flies today. I don't think you get to, you know, harass your teacher by saying that she wants magnum-sized ribbed cherry-flavored condoms. And also, how many adjectives can we use for one pack of condoms? I was going to say, Jesus Christ, that's like the name of a band, too, I feel like. Magnum-sized ribbed cherry-flavored condoms. (laughs) Or at the very least, like the the chorus of a ska song. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, throw a little brass in there. I like it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then, you know, things completely change, right? And that's one of those things that I think is really cool, um, right? As far as you can see the drastic changes, and it's it's so, like, such a big change, right? She went from this meek uh, teacher, you know, trying to, you know, tell Zeke to be a proper student to all of a sudden being, like, some, like, little Miss Badass wearing, like, a red dress and shit. Although I, th- I feel like the red dress is a bit much, but... It's a little heavy-handed. It kind of has like that scarlet letter type thing going with it, and it's fine. Um, so as things start to derail, you know, Delilah is with Stan. Uh, you have Frodo with Stokely. Uh, that's where Stokely starts talking about the you know invasion of the body snatchers and everything. Those two pairs meet up, and Delilah says, "I filled Stan in." And the next scene is them explaining to Stan exactly what's going on. <laughs> Hey, he's a D student, man. Leave him alone. Oh, that's a great explanation. Uh, then we get another homophobic, you know, freak dyke. And I was like, geez, Louise. A reference to Independence Day. I'm like, this is this is aging very quickly, this movie. When when was the, the Independence Day riff or, you know, little tidbit? It's when Frodo says, now, would you take over the world, you know, slowly oh, or would right, you do it Independence right, right. Day style? That's true, but yeah, I mean, this is so, kind of I mean, when they're brainstorming, right? Yeah, by this point, they you know they're referencing all these movies. They have a reference to the thing coming up. It's pretty heavy-handed in terms of it, but that's one of the things that I think if they don't have it, it I don't think the general audience is really going to get it. And with the success of Scream, how could you blame them for being referential? Right, right. I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't use it, you're going to miss out on the opportunity. So we have this scene where Jon Stewart is like, I sent the alien worms to the university. And he reveals he's a monster. I thought that scene was really cool. It's 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 interesting, right, how, um, you know, obviously there was a little bit of foreshadowing with the eye and... Um, you know, it was weird. I feel like it, it almost seemed like it escalated like way too quickly. Did you feel like that as well? Dude, it's zero to 60. And right. I don't know if that's a pacing thing. I don't know if it's a 90s thing and everybody was drinking surge energy drinks or whatever. <laughs> but something happens where it goes from, hey, we all have suspicions to, oh my God, I chopped his fingers off and tendrils tried to rape my face. Right, right. It went, yeah. Like obviously he was like who is he who is he grabbing he was grabbing somebody and first of all we have to go over his name is Edward Furlong right absolutely <laughs> yeah if anybody doesn't understand uh, Edward Furlong is um, a character from uh, Terminator Two who and um, T one thousand is also in so yep you know but here's the fun part. He's also in Pet Cemetery 2, which ties back to our very first episode. <laughs> I like the crossovers, man. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, it, it's it's funny, right? They're, he's basically, I don't know if you would call him a doctor. He's 
basically a science teacher for this, the high school. Who is he confronting? He was grabbing somebody. I think he's grabbing Casey at that point. Was he, so he was grabbing Casey and he was kind of like shaking him, and then that's when like Zeke goes over to the uh, to the paper shred or a paper cutter and like yanks it off all slow mo. Yeah, and it's all badass, and you hear like the sheen. Yeah. I never looked at paper cutters the same way again. Every time I was like, I wonder what I could do with that. Yeah, you know what's funny is, I mean, you got to imagine, those things have to be pretty damn sharp, especially with the stacks of paper that they go through. So, I mean, it definitely works. Yeah, I mean, it's a big big one-arm scissor. Um, So he uses it, chops the hand, stabs the eye, the immediate evil is over, and then they flee the scene of a crime. And they go back to... uh, Lucky number seven, right? Casa, right, right, and then you immediately—at least for me—I'm like, wow, look at that, look at that spread. Yeah, spoiled rich kid. Kind of hard to be sympathetic to him, but at the same point, his parents have abandoned him, and that's the thing. What do you give the kid who has everything? You give him loving parents. You don't give him a nice car and a chemistry set. A chemistry set. That's that's definitely a very clever way of saying he's a meth dealer. (laughs) So then he does some animal testing, which I, as a prissy little vegan, was very distressed by, but I think it's oh. a hell of an effect for 0.5 seconds of screen time. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely works as far as, uh, you know, showing the capabilities of the alien. And, you know, it's it was, it was even though, obviously, it has to do with, you know, like, uh, animal testing and whatnot, I like, I like the fact that they didn't kind of show in like extreme detail like him kind of getting rid of the rat merciful sound was nice so i mean i feel like kudos for them for doing something like that even though like i said you know it had to do with animal testing uh i definitely felt for you jake when i saw that well i think that you know if they would have made his relationship with the mat the rat more long-standing i think it's way harder if it's like old like yeller and he has the rat in every scene on his shoulder, then it's super sad. But here it's just like, oh, okay, it's just some rat and it's a plot device. I'm moving on. It was Right, right. I'm just saying true. I only cried for twenty minutes, okay? <laughs> right. So then so then they're talking, right, as far as, you know, they come to conclusion that any one of them could be uh potentially an alien. Yeah, this they, is the 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 thing's blood testing scene. Right, so then they they decide, okay, well, you know, if Edward Furlong, I feel like I can't even finish that. If Edward Furlong died by, uh, you know, having me stab a scat in in the eyeball, um, I feel like any, we should all, you know, do a little scat. Well, I think that <laughs> if I got scat in my eyeball, I would just get pink eye. So I think that's the way that they're able to tell who's an alien or not. Right, right. So, you know, they do the whole little round robin with the with the scat, which I find it, it's really kind of clever. I feel like that he uses um, pens to, to you know, carry the scat. I feel like that's really clever, right? That's something that a high school student would do. Yeah, and it, you know, makes it easily hideable, easily disposable. I think that it, it's actually very, you know, it's probably the smartest thing that he does. Forget the chemistry and the biology. Right, right. So then, you know, they do the whole round robin, like I said, of, uh, you know, everybody doing some scat. And uh, one of the things that I like to bring up is the fact that, you know, Casey does it. And as soon as Casey does it, he turns into Gollum. 
Did you not feel like he sounded like Gollum as oh, he was sure. giggling like a little Absolutely, kid? Absolutely, for sure. <laughs> and I loved it because I hate in movies when people do drugs and they're totally sober because something's scary. I'm like, that's n- I've been around enough drunken idiots or stoned idiots to be like, no, that's not what happens. Yeah, like, they definitely played it off really well as far as uh, being stoned. I mean, you know, I wouldn't put it past uh, people. I'm sure there were kids. I mean, he was 18, so he definitely could if he wanted to. As far as be like, you know, like, well, I'm a method actor, so maybe I'll just do some coke right now. <laughs> just a little bit of coke. <laughs> well, I mean, the director's the guy who did El Mariachi and Desperado. I don't think you can see those movies and not think that he was on coke, so he probably just borrowed some from Robert. That's true. That's true. So um, so during the scene, yeah. Delilah talks about, you know, or it's referred to that the infected are emotionless. But Delilah's a bitch. The coach shows like glee at multiple times, so I don't think that really makes sense. Another thing that doesn't make sense is you can tell that the slug alien people can tell one of their own. It's very clear in other scenes when you have the teachers and faculty looking at one another. So it seems to me that it would logically follow that Delilah would know that Mary Beth is like the queen. So if she's trying to get the queen outed, it seems that this species doesn't have a hive mind, and yet they're all working towards the betterment of the colony. I was very confused by this whole scene. This move, this part of the movie, especially when you get the reveal of Mary Beth later, it's such a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because it 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 pits, it, it pits Mary Beth with Delilah, right? As far as in in the scene where they do the uh, the scat, so it's one of the things where it's like, well, is Delilah trying to like usurp uh, Mary Beth? Yeah, that's my big question. Is this a dominance play? Is this, you know, she knows that uh, the queen can use her nostril flaps and protect herself? What's going on? Right, right. You know what's funny? It's something that I felt like I was thinking as it was progressing. Every single time it would go to a different character as far as within the breakfast club trying to do the scat, they would all start by saying, oh, I don't do drugs. Like, every single one of them. They're like, okay, well, here's what we got to do. We got to all test it by doing drugs. And then he would, Zeke would, like, hand it to somebody, and they're like, I don't do drugs. Stan, I think he's even like, I don't do drugs, man. Yeah, he's like, I'm above that. And this is coming from a guy who wore a Dare sweatshirt on top of a Dare t-shirt last weekend. (laughs) Uh, That was way heavy-handed to have everybody be like, no, drugs are bad. Hey, my body high is playing football out in the football field. <laughs> and getting D's. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like um, that's, that's a great scene, right? And then you kind of you have an idea, at least, spoiler alert, bleh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, you know, you, you think to yourself that uh, nobody here is... Uh, is an alien, you know what I mean? And that's one of the things that frustrates me so much about this at the reveal at the end, because the nose, the nostril flaps are fine, because that's something that you can't see. When her freaking pinky turns into a tentacle and unscrews the cap and the scat falls out, you are changing a flashback. That breaks the rule. You can't change the flashback. If you've shown yeah. me something, you can't change what you've shown me, because that's lazy writing. That's totally true. And it's funny because I, I thought the same thing. I thought it's it's a, it's a nose flap that's completely different and it's something that you wouldn't think of. But, like, the finger turning into a little tentacle thing is, like, so far-fetched. 
I don't know. It and just I think it's like one of those heavy-handed things where they think that the people are stupid, and they're like, oh, well, if she has a nose flap, what happens to the dust? We don't need, it doesn't matter. She whips her head back. You could just have her pouring it over her shoulder for all we care. Come on, guys. Right, right. You spill the scat, and you get, like, fucking 12 years of bad luck or something. <laughs> it's the scat over your left shoulder, right? <laughs> So this is where they re- reference Sigourney Weaver from Aliens. Delilah makes her big escape, and their getaway car is a student driving car, which I think is great continuity. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. You know what's funny? Because I remember somebody picking her up, and I'm like, who the fuck was that? One of the faculty. Oh, makes yeah. sense. Then it cuts to the football game, and you have... This is a weird thing. Usher literally worms somebody on the field. And I've watched a lot of the SB Nation series of weird rules, and I have not seen that addressed, but I think that's a violation of Frosh football <laughs> rules. Agreed. Agreed. And it's funny, right? Because it's like uh, Friday Night Lights. Everybody's, you know, there. And it, it reminds me of, you know, Friday Nights growing up. You know what I mean? Especially with, like, the big football games, uh, you know, that we had growing up. So I kind of like that the whole the whole community was there. And uh, it, it kind of shows the, the gravity of things as far as, you know, like, Okay, well, it starts small with faculty, and then it moves on to everybody, like literally everybody. And it shows, I mean, it's a great way of establishing a hub where they can get the most people. You know what movie came out uh, a little over two weeks after this one? What was that? Varsity Blues. You know what's funny? I was just thinking, I'm going to say Varsity Blues, but you know what? I'm going to sound stupid. No. Totally sounds like something that Varsity Blues would uh, come out around the same time because it has kind of the same feel, right? The super same feel, yeah. Good old Dawson. I like it. And uh, so did you notice this? The one scene where you could have people spraying water all over each other, throwing water on the coach, sweating. No sweat. No one sweating. No glistening. Nothing. <laughs> it was I very distracting to me because I'm like, you had literally had the scene where you had the drama teacher splashing water in her face couple minutes of prayer war and then you end up here and it's bone dry <laughs> that's pretty funny i feel like i was uh more or less paying attention to usher apparently wrecking fools out on the field yeah right the clothesline from hell like he's jbl yeah if i had some alien species like taking over my body i hope i would be able to you know rip some people's heads off out on the football field as well otherwise i'd be disappointed hell yeah <laughs> you think you saw the test for worms you think John Jones got worms? Hey, he apparently passed all those drug tests. I just heard about that. Did you read up on that? I did, and I don't believe it at all. <laughs> Moving on, cuts to the gym. They're talking about how they're going to try and lure Principal Drake so they could do the whole stabby stab, pouring out all the stuff. She melts, which is awesome. What do you think about that scene and series of events? You're talking about the principal, right? Yeah, when she gets liquefied, and then you have Mary Beth throwing the dust all okay, over. Okay, so this actually is going to kind of bring me back to the point where we we're uh, talking about where they're doing the round, round robin with uh, the drug testing, right? So who pulled out the gun, and where did the gun come from? It was just on the counter of his work shelf. Casey looks at it, and then uh, you had Zeke looking at his microphone. It's like, it's just a gun, man. So- and he has it first, and then Stan takes okay, it. Okay, so they got the gun from Zeke's house, and it's just it was just randomly introduced. Like, here's a gun. Yeah. Yep. I feel like that's one of those things where, I don't know, me personally, I didn't catch it, and it seemed like they just kind of glossed over it, and they're like, okay, well, now some one of them has a gun, and they're able to you know defend themselves. 
But I, I just thought I was like, wow, that's weird. Why does a high schooler have a gun? But I guess, you know, if you got it from uh, his parents' house and they're out jet-setting somewhere, it makes a little more sense. Well, yeah, and he's also a drug dealer, so it's kind of comes with yeah, the territory. True, true, true. Um, no, I really liked it. I thought it was really cool how she definitely was kind of playing the different types of emotions, right? She first was, like, very strict, like, uh, what are you guys doing here? You guys all need to leave. And then she's, like, playing, like, the, oh, my God, please don't hurt me kind of thing. Yeah, and then I thought the way that Mary Beth used it all, and she, if you catch it, she repeatedly asked, like, is that all of it? Is that all of it? To kind of be like, yep, I've, we, I've eliminated this threat, and now I can kill these kids. But then he's like, no, there's still more in my right. car. My big question is, why didn't she just kill him so he couldn't make more? But whatever. I'm okay. We're one, moving one on. Thing that I, one thing um, that I really thought was kind of interesting was the whole, I don't know what that was, like a little chemistry kind of tube thing that they had. All of that scatting. Yeah, the thing to, to fill the pens. Yeah, that was thought, pretty neat. I thought it, I it seemed like it was kind of um, like a steampunk kind of thing. You know what it reminded me of? You know when you used to get those uh, vials full of powdered sugar candy and you'd like make different layers of it and you'd mix it and you'd get it at like laser Raven's star? Raven's Revenge. There we go. That's the one. <laughs> I like that shit, man. Um, Pure diabetes. Oh, God. It's amazing that we lived to be adults. <laughs> Um, so the thinking is, okay, you kill the queen and all the other ones go back to normal. We know from the beginning that, she, you know, Principal Drake is not the queen. So they're setting up the scene where Stan goes out and he's going to go check out the coach outside who's standing who's, in the rain. Who's stand, was uh, it the rain? The yeah, it was the rain, right? It wasn't the uh, sprinklers. It yeah. was the rain. Yeah, he's in the sprinklers right, earlier right, right. Uh, when Casey sees him through the window, but it's the rain at this time. And so he, uh, Stokely kisses him, and I think it's so great that the characters, uh, you know, Zeke and Casey, giggle at that situation. It's humanizing, and I think it's, it, you know, it's one of those situations where it, it humanizes all four characters involved. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely reminds you uh, that they are high school kids, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, they're capricious. It's fun, and I think that it, it helps create serious tension, but it's also very tongue-in-cheek because it's saying, all right, well, we know that this situation is dire, but, you know, we're still a high school kids moving right. along. So he runs out, sees the coach, and it goes back to the beginning where the creatures have, you know, the skeletal faces and the fangs and everything. Um, which I think is interesting because there's just enough pseudoscience to justify that this happens because, you know, John Stewart's talking about, oh, well, that changed. Where did those fangs come from? Whatever. And so now the fact that the coach's face is skin is translucent and you have this skeletal thing, there's just enough pseudoscience to justify a very good sight gag. Oh, yeah, agree? absolutely. It definitely shows that they're morphing, they're, they're adapting to the human host. You know what I mean? And uh, one of the things that I really liked is it kind of showed as far as going back to the kiss between Stokely and Eminem, Stan, uh, is that you kind of had like a foreboding that something was going to go wrong, right? Because they had that like little tender feeling. Yeah, and you knew that uh, Principal Drake wasn't the, you know, the queen hive. So when he comes back, you're like, oh, there's something here. There's something not right. Brian, what happens then? <laughs> Basically, he tries to do a little, like, uh, everything's fine, everything's cool. Come on outside, and I'll show you how everything is over here. Drink the Kool-Aid, you know, everything will be all right kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and they're like, do the drugs. And he says, not gonna do it, and pours the drugs out. What, yeah, a, what shame. a shame. What a shame, man. It's, I mean, but it, 
I like that the next time that you see him, he's in uniform, which kind of you know shows he's one of them. He's assimilated into this evil conglomeration of doom. Right. You know what's funny is um, you, you remember right after he had that little conversation with them, saying you know like you know he poured the drugs out and he said you know everything's great over here. You know, just just accept it, this or that. And they're like, yeah, fuck you, we're not going to do that shit. He, like, turns around and he, like, goes to, like, a full sprint. Yeah, because he's on those USADA worms, <laughs> man. He just, like, full-on sprints. He's like, well, deuces, and takes off. When they go to try and get them additional drugs, Casey and Zeke, you know, Casey gets exploited and used as a decoy, which ties in with his earlier statement, you know, I don't think somebody should run unless they're being chased. And then he ends up on a school bus... Ryan, can you give me any rational explanation aside from just a silly plot point that Delilah would be camped right, out in a right. yellow school I thought bus? the same thing. I'm like, what are the chances that she's like, well, I feel like he might be in this one in a couple hours. So you know what? Maybe I'll just like do my nails or some shit and just hang out until then. It was a little weird. I'm going to drink some water. Yeah, it seemed like it was one of those things that, I don't know, maybe it was like a projection. Like, I feel like that would make more sense than, like, her actually being there randomly. But, you know, I don't know. At the same time, one of those things that comes to mind for me as far as, like, if you're getting chased by a bunch of uh, athletes is, like, I'm going to barricade myself in a bus. I don't know. I feel like there's, like, you're, like, basically trapping yourself. That's just me. It's like zombies and everything. When he escapes, it's it's just because they're like a mindless horde, but they haven't demonstrated themselves to be mindless. If anything, they've shown themselves to be you know highly adept at all things athletic. But you know we're moving along because we need a hero, and I don't like Zeke, so I'm glad it's Casey. <laughs> we go to the next part. We got Dark Phoenix, Miss Burke, and she says, "Hello, Zeke boy," and eh, nope, two minutes. Going to the penalty box, and I didn't say penalty, I said penalty because this is a horror (laughs) hockey podcast. That is the worst line of this film. Good day, sir. Sit in that box and think about what you've done because that's the worst line ever. Hello, boy. (laughs) Please don't address me as that ever. Please don't make this a thing. Fans and followers, don't be cute. I've already had people do the nipple butter thing. You don't have to do this. Don't make it a thing where you call me and say, hello, Zeke boy. It's just not worth it because I'm not even until I'm ahead. So I will find something to fuck with you with. And it, I will. Oh, I swore again. It's <sighs> getting me on. bothered. Then we have. <laughs> it is. We move on. There's the PSA. Cause we've already had several PSAs about drug use. Now we have the PSA about wearing your seatbelt. Right. I thought that was that was pretty clever. I liked it. It was it wasn't too overbearing, but at the same time, it's it's one of those things that it it it, it plays into it, right? She gets thrown through the windshield of a car, and her head is ripped off, and we yeah. get an homage yeah. to. It's a pretty the sweet thing. homage too, because I mean. I, you know what? I liked it. I liked it. I feel like it's funny because there wasn't really any other time where you felt like if they got dismembered, like part of their body would like crawl back to them, right? I feel like that was kind of like a first. No, I no, think no. that we, not to 
naysay, but when Edward Furlong gets his oh, fingers cut off, they know crawl what? away. That's true. And that's true. The they do crawl away. But, uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I was. Just, I guess I'm just thinking it's because it's like a it's like a tentacle thing. It's a completely yeah, different effect true. to your credit, though. Yeah, to your credit, the the fingers they just start crawling like fingers, whereas this, you know, tentacles erupt from the neck, which are way bigger than all the worms these people contain. Yeah, like their flesh. It almost and it, like slithers over, and you have the body looking for it. It almost seems like it's like its own entity right oh for sure it it seems like they're two separate entities when you have that body wandering around headless groping for it in the dark right I, which i thought was really funny it was like one of those things where i feel like it's like super campy right where the body's just kind of moving around like a drunk person trying to find the head so we move into the gym you have stokely and mary beth talking uh, you find out mary beth's been the alien queen all along and she starts flailing her little tentacle arms around and swaying like she's some kind of evil hula girl do you remember that part yeah yeah where she's in the gymnasium yeah absolutely it's like it's like she's walking but then she has all those tentacles around her like behind her right well i'm talking about before that this is this is before she changes oh. uh, when after she punches stokely with a sound effect that's almost as bad as the one from event horizon <laughs> which we nagged about for a couple minutes um so she she hits her she her arms turn to tentacles and then there's an awesome scene where her face sinks into her shoulders and the alien head comes up. Oh, that's which right. Which is an awesome right. effect for, what, two seconds worth of screen time? Yeah, that was really cool. I really like that. That was, um, it, it didn't seem like it was uh, too fake. I mean, obviously it's an alien coming out of a fucking high school girl, but you know what I mean? It didn't seem like it was, uh, I guess I, when I say fake, I mean, it's, it, it's not complete CGI bullshit. If that makes any sense. It does. Okay. So I have two things that are completely contradictory, so I need you to bear with me. One, it bothers me that there's no explanation for where Mary Beth's dress goes. It's not part of her. It just disappears. You don't see rags on the floor. Continuity frustrates me to no end. But the fact that you take a little girl, turn her into a giant slug monster, doesn't bother me. You know why? Because I grew up with Dracula and Megatron, and they proved to me that villains could be really small or really big, so that couldn't have cared less about. Yeah, I like it. It's interesting. You know what? I, I feel like um, even though they, they didn't explain it, it almost seems like maybe it's, again, it's one of those things that um, maybe they're projecting it. It's something that you, you, you see what they want you to see. I mean, this is me going way conspiracy and, like, obviously not anything to do with the movie. But, like, does Casey really see Delilah in the bus? Or is that something that they wanted him to see? Is that something as far as uh, Mary Beth being able to wear this, like, you know, sweet little fucking farm dress? Or is she really this, like, giant gelatinous fucking tentacle monster this entire time? But you see her based off of what she sees other humans looking like. To quote uh, one of my favorite movies of all time... I'd buy that for a dollar. And moving on, because actually that's a way better explanation than I expected. She starts pursuing Casey and IRL Daria. There's a scene where it jumps into the water and smoothly like slides across the water. It, it, no effort at all. Stokely magically escapes. And that frustrates me because I'm like, how the f*** are you going to tell me? I swore again. Darn it. Tarnation. You know, how are you going to tell me that this giant creature could shoot across the water like she's Michael Phelps and then not catch a girl who's being dragged by a skeleton boy with a pool skimmer? (laughs) But 
She doesn't get away, does she, Brian? No, she doesn't. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, right? I feel like that's that's the part we're talking where she gets dragged into the water, correct? Yeah, she gets her head she smashed. She gets her head smashed. Like the cringiest part of the movie, for sure. Absolutely. And then here's what really gets me, right? Is, um, you know what? I feel like even though like you come to you know relate to these characters, I feel like one of them should die maybe that's just me but i feel like one of them should die and that's just i feel like it's it just comes with the with the the game of being in a horror film sorry one of you main characters needs to die and i feel like stokely needed to die right there i mean did, you know does it, brian the, you're the guy who wanted to see more gore with the kid die i can't say i'm surprised about this um, with regard to our pet cemetery, after the, does no, it not make sense right. that Stokely is getting dragged into a pool where these creatures thrive in water, and she is this giant tentacle thing, and somehow she survives? I don't know. The only explanation I have is that she wants her alive so she can be a host. That's literally the only one I came up with. But yeah. I had the same thought too. I was like, I mean, just accidentally, I'm sure that creature could kill her. So it's right, kind of weird right. that she makes she's, it almost completely unscathed. Yeah, she smacks her head, she's unconscious underwater, and she's surrounded by this giant tentacle monster. Um, I mean, how many other variables do you need for somebody to die? <laughs> do you need, like, lights to, like, electrical lights to, like, fall into the pool also? Yeah, right. And then some barbed wire and a couple stingrays with the pointy tails like <laughs> Steve Irwin. Rest in peace. Yeah, so one thing I love about this movie is it's nice to see xenophobia directed towards a white woman. Did you notice that? You know what? I didn't even notice that. The fear of the other from a faraway place, you know, especially with all this wall talk going on to see a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman be the villainous assailant. Uh, it was it was a nice change of pace. So we move on. Um, there's the awesome scene where it makes no sense, but she's walking through the locker room having changed back into the Mary Beth form and you have the shadow of the tentacles but she's walking just a naked lady with some pasties on what did you think of that uh, I mean I'd lie if I said I hated it um I mean you you see her as this like nasty ass fucking tentacle thing beforehand so that's fresh in your mind but you're also like today's two of them it's awesome <laughs> it reminded me very much of the crotch plate from Return of the Living Dead where the naked punk girl you look she does not have a vagina because that would not get past sensors so kind of the same thing it's a crotch you plate notice? yeah if you look really closely it is it's pretty funny <laughs> is it, if, um, you, if you pause it at the right time and you zoom in <laughs> well, i mean you can just tell there's there's no uh, cleft if you will uh, not that i ever paused it as a child watching that movie um don't know what you're talking about brian i don't appreciate your accusations so did you notice that Mary Beth seems to lose her southern accent from Atlanta when uh, she's talking after, you know, giving the expository, my alien planet was oceans and I came here when it dried up and I want to save you. Yeah, I thought that was really funny, right? It's like, okay, I need to, like, lose the spiel, obviously. We're not fooling anybody anymore. And then you have, you know, Casey lures her into the uh, you know, stadium seating, gets her stuck, Stabs her in the eye with the pen and says, Guaranteed to jack you up, which is a throwback to when he was hiding in the urinal stall, bleeding on himself, <laughs> and you had 
Midwest kid making a drug deal to Scientology boy. And this is this movie is full circle at that point. Full circle, absolutely. Although I feel like um, didn't um, Delilah kind of make a another appearance right in the um, in the locker room and she gets locked in. She gets locked. Oh, that's in the Stokely. Cage. Is that? Oh, that was Stokely. Yeah, that was Stokely that gets locked in the cage. Uh, and then that's because he comes in to her, and when you know he's killed the queen, and you see like the slugs disintegrating on the floor right, next to her. Right, right. Did you catch the Mary Beth says, uh, "Oh yeah, I'm allergic to aspirin, so if I did that, that would kill me." That's yeah. some good foreshadowing too, because yeah, yeah. guess what, Brian? Hate to spoil it for you, it's the drugs that kill her. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta stay away from them drugs. Drugs are bad, okay? Okay. <laughs> you do that way too well. <laughs> okay. Drugs are bad. We don't want to do drugs. And slugs. Slugs are bad. Okay. So, one thing that was kind of fun, right, is like after the fact, they have like this whole little montage of like after the fact, right? Everything's back to normal. Don't worry about like these like. Aliens taking over, like, you know, a good portion of the city. Everybody's just going to act like everything's fine. And uh, What I love is that Zeke says, it's over, and looks over to Casey, and Casey says, yeah, and looks over to him, and it's just like the end of Return of the King, and then there's another <laughs> ending after it. And I was like, God, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, man. I thought that was really funny. And then you have, like, uh, for some reason, Zeke's like, yeah. I'm going to stop doing drugs and selling drugs, and I'm going to be a football player. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? Yeah, but I like that he's, like, from the mean machine of the longest yard, and he's, like, smoking cigarettes on the like, football field. <laughs> right, and there's, you know, T-1000's like, hey, put that shit out. Or, I don't know, he said something. And he said, but. but. <laughs> yeah. But then, so, to your point, we were discussing Miss Burke is, like, flirty fingering. Well, here's the thing. Brian... Danny Masterson at the beginning of the movie says that Zeke is repeating his senior year, which would imply he is at least 18 years and thus the age of consent. So he is legal. Wow, Ms. Burke's got it, man. That's But trip. here's the problem. Go on. He's also her student because in the earlier scenes it shows when he's talking about Robinson Crusoe that he is in her class. So that is a no-no, but statutorily speaking it is not a no-no. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty funny because, I mean, right after that scene I was just like... Yeah, that totally would never happen. I mean, I feel like it, generally speaking, doesn't happen, but even more so as far as how they portrayed it. So it moves on. You got Elijah Wood meeting up with Delilah. She's in love with him. She's got googly hard eye emojis, whatever you want to call it. And she's like, oh, my God, I love you so much. And Time Magazine and People Magazine. And one of the things that's weird is the newscast says there's no substantiating evidence about the alien invasion. And yet this kid makes the cover of those two. <laughs> right, public- right, right. And did you did you find it funny? Like, at least for me, I feel like it's it's almost hard to believe that she just, like, completely went 180 from, like, being, like, who the fuck are you, some nerd? Like, get away from me, to being like, oh, my God, I love you. Yeah, I think the better idea is that he realizes he doesn't need her because he fawns over her the whole time. Although he does look a little disenchanted by her. He's like kind of unaffected, like when the news people are there and he goes, Ah, is it, you know, is it whether it's local or national or whatever? And she's like, It's right, both. Right. Yeah, that's so, true. So Brian, I have gone off the rails. I've gone crazy looking at the details of this film. I have found our link to hockey in this movie. Do you know where? 
You got me. Where is it at? So when you look at the Hornet Weekly, that there's an article that is written by Delilah Prophet. If you read the article, it refers to Delilah Zamboni, which is the name <laughs> that is used so she does not have to address her alien self as herself. And thus, you have your reference. I like it. You got to you know explain to our fans, if they aren't of the uh, hockey kind, uh, what a Zamboni is. So in the intermissions, two of which occur between the three periods in hockey, after the ice has been scathed by skates, sticks, and other objects, uh, a Zamboni is a machine that goes by and uses water to resurface the ice so that it is smooth, whereupon the skaters can resume play at a later time. So the name Zamboni is just awesome. It's a filler word, and I love it. It's funny because there's just enough detail in that article so you can see that and kind of see the names of the characters, but it actually starts to repeat again because they, they did, like, I think two paragraphs worth of writing, and then they just copied and pasted it on the same page. Which is pretty <laughs> They're like, nobody's going to pay attention to this shit. <laughs> Let me ask you this. There's a kid who's getting nutted on a flagpole at the end, and he's wearing a dark shirt, and he's a white kid. Is that Stan? <laughs> oh, no. Did it go for full circle? Was it like That's what a- I felt like. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. You know, it's funny because when I saw the kid getting nutted into the flagpole, I was just like, oh, man. So they didn't even wait for Casey to, like, finish up with his interviews. They just straight up, like, fucking grabbed his ass. And, way and, to save the world, fag. And then went to town. <laughs> so uh, then, you know, the last point, Stokely is wearing color, so you know she's made a full recovery from her false lesbonism, and she and Stan live happily ever after. Yeah, pretty much. The post credit scenes we talked about, you have Jon Stewart with an eye patch, and he's missing fingers, and he's holding up a donut, and he's the happiest I've ever seen Jon Stewart. That is reason alone to finish this movie. If you started watching the movie and you tapered off and you didn't feel the need to finish it, go back and rewatch it just for that part, because it just that's the happiest ending I've ever seen to a film. Yeah, I really like Jon Stewart in this film. I feel like he has like a, that little bit of comedic relief um throughout you know he just kind of is like that wisecracking uh, science teacher brian any closing points as far as the plot goes or are we good to move into the stably cup discussion uh no i think we're good to go man let's go ahead and go into the stably cup man okay so those of you who don't know the stably cup is our horror stanley cup which is a title that's defended week to week for the best film now here's the thing we've talked about this before there are movies that are classics there are movies that are trashics, and there are movies that are just plain tragic. A classic is a good, good movie, a trashic is a good, bad movie, and a tragic is a bad, bad movie. And so if you look at the tiers of hockey, uh, the cups that the people compete for, it's the Stanley, it's the Calder, it's the Kelly. And so in the slasher's vernacular, we have the Stably, the Scalder, and the Killy. And so, Brian, I would like to contend that the faculty wins the inaugural Scalder Cup Award for the best good-bad movie. Agreed. Agreed. It's one of those ones that um, it definitely, I feel like, doesn't hold a flame to um, American Werewolf in London or even Pet Sematary. Um, if anything, I'd say potentially with Event Horizon, but that's just being said because I feel like Event Horizon really got rushed as far as, um, you know, with uh, the storyline and everything. Uh, if, Absolutely. If, if Event Horizon had finished, like, a complete 
movie, it would be up there with, uh, you know, Pet Cemetery and uh, American Werewolf of London. But it doesn't have the same kind of campy vibes that uh, the faculty has. So that's where I feel like it really shines, and uh, I, I I agree. I feel like it's um it's a trash egg. Yeah, and I think that if it wasn't so derivative, you know, if this happened before Scream, I think this really logistically could have been a classic. Um, I don't think it would be a classic that competes with American Werewolf, but I think it could have competed more with uh, Event Horizon, probably is its closest competition. But then Event Horizon is such an original premise that you know you're just not going to compete. But it is super fun. It is totally worth watching. It is a hell of a lot better than Spy Kids or Spy Kids Two, which were both directed by Robert Rodriguez. You got to watch The Faculty. Oh, absolutely, definitely check it out, guys. It's uh, it's one you know like like you said earlier. It's it's not terribly long. It's what 104 minutes. 104 minutes. So it definitely breezes by and. Um, it's definitely one that I feel like it's it's re rewatchable. I feel like I'd definitely sit down um, and watch it, you know, with my significant other in the future. Yeah, you just got to make sure that you put a pillow on your lap when Mary Beth starts walking in that uh, locker room, <laughs> my friend. Agreed. Agreed. All right, gang. So until next week, uh, this has been Slashers, a horror movie podcast. Brian, use your classic send off line. Alright guys, if you, uh, shit, hold on, it, I got it. If you ain't watching them dying, you ain't really trying. <laughs> I knew I'd get it. Nailed it. I've actually abandoned Slash and Dash because I am using a new one. Go for it. For our fans who we love, hugs and stitches. I like it, bitches. <laughs>